0: Hello and welcome to Early Childhood Ireland's podcast. Our podcast series features interviews and discussions on all issues relating to quality early learning and care with a range of speakers who are leaders in the areas that matter to Early Childhood Ireland members. I'm Maura Corbett and I work with Early Childhood Ireland and you're most welcome to season two. For this new season we plan to have themed series with a range of guests discussing aspects of a particular topic. And to get this new format started, we decided to shine a light on the subject of children under two. In the next four episodes, we'll reflect on how we can care best for very young children, a subject we know early childhood educators are passionate about. And of course, it's of vital importance to get it right. So for this first episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr Geraldine French from DCU, who will discuss slow relational pedagogy. Geraldine is the head of school, of Language, Literacy and Early Childhood Education and the Programme Chair of the MED in Early Childhood Education at Dublin City University. She's passionate, as we know, about nurturing and developing young children's well-being and learning f- from birth through interactions and relational pedagogy. And she has a particular interest in educational inequality. So Geraldine, you're really welcome to this episode. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Moira. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. So um, what does quality uh,
1: for babies and toddlers look like? Okay, Moira, well, I'll give you the headlines first and then I'll try and get into the detail a bit more. So the first thing, of course, is the person. We need committed, knowledgeable staff in early education and care. And when I say knowledgeable, I mean with a particular focus on children from birth to three, we need to have for babies, low stress, facilitating environments, play-based curriculum appropriate to the context of the baby, a focus on communication and language, which of course is always a hostage to fortune. So why would you focus on one area of development when we always talk about the importance of holistic development, but actually communication and language begets every other area of, uh, of education and learning. Uh, family involvement of course is critically important, supporting attachments through a key person approach, uh, individualized routines, and then finally we will talk about slow relational pedagogy. So just to get into looking again at the kind of sort of knowledge that staff need to have if they're working with this very young age group, they need to know about children's rights, they need to know about how children learn and develop, they need to know how to use those intimate daily routines that babies, in particular, spend so much time in, how they, you can use those to build attachments <coughs> and support their learning. They need to know how to uh, be able to emotionally engage through responsive interactions and awareness of diversity, working with families with multiple needs, and being able to self-evaluate and crit- critically reflect on their own practice, ideally through film-stimulated discussions and dialogues, and with on-site mentoring and support. So when we talk about then the environments low stress facilitating environments, you're talking about looking at it from the big ground up, literally from where the baby is. So what are they seeing when they're looking around? Are they looking at plain, rather grubby skirting boards or are they looking at things that are interactive and interesting for them to go and touch? Um, Are there comfortable spaces to meet their routine care needs, spaces for adults and children? Is there space and resource which promotes their physical activity? Because they have to be able to move, they have to be able to crawl, they have to be able to exercise their bodies. And critically, movement experiences need to be outdoors as well as indoors. And um, they need to have lots of those kinds of experiences integrated throughout the day. So when it comes to a play-based curriculum that's appropriate to the context of the baby, we're talking about babies as being agentive and active learners. The role of the educator is critical in knowing what the baby is interested in. And that can only happen in engagement with the families and ensuring that what the families have, what the families are bringing to the setting is replicated in the setting for the baby. Of course, sensory materials are of critically important that children can use and babies can use their senses. And really, when you think about curriculum for a baby, it's everything that the child experiences. So that includes those intimate bodily care routines. It includes being put down for a nap. It includes being fed. So everything that the child experiences is important okay talked a little bit already about communication and language it's connected to uh, cognition and social processes and is critical for development and um, and how do you do that you narrate what the babies are doing you read stories songbooks, singing rhymes conversations talking to children uh, a lot Family involvement, first of all recognizing of course that the parents are the primary educators and ultimately the expert in the baby when they come across the the, um, threshold, but there needs to be respect for the parent and their relationship. There needs to be a sharing of information and skills and decision-making and critically, and this is where early childhood settings have such a key role that they can notice the stress the families are under and be in a position to offer supports. The final bit in terms of supporting attachments through key person approach is critically important. We know that the negative and disruptive impacts of changes in personnel for babies and toddlers related to high staff turnover uh, are too often disregarded. This completely impedes a baby's sense-making. Babies are learning in every environment that they find themselves in from birth. If they have to cope with a whole raft of different people all the time with different ways of holding them, different ways of talking to them, different ways of picking them up then you know from the child's point of view it's very disruptive so the ideal is that you have a key person approach so the key person is the person who supports the baby through the various um transitions um that happens in the day
0: and the mention transitions brings us neatly on to the next one when I heard you um at the OMAP conference there a couple of months ago you had that lovely um slide with like the 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 cogs of a wheel in it showing all the different transitions that um that very young children have to have in the day and with older children we're very often able to minimize transitions by having more blocks for play but the nature of a a young baby is you know they have to sleep they have be fed, have to have their nappy changed and they have to have time to to play so have you um thoughts on how those transitions can be made more more supportive and more like jim greenman
1: referred to them more like the prime times yes indeed well actually funny you should say that um after the omep conference i got a lovely email from a graduate alicia who said that she talks about um, nappy changing in particular. She ta- she refers to that as her sacred time. And sacred she time. uses that time, yeah, to <laughs> really build relationships with children. So that... Yeah,
0: could be a lovely, thing. intimate, caring time for interactions rather than just,
1: you know, when boom
0: home off you go kind Absolutely.
1: of thing. Yeah, I mean, there is a tendency that there's a kind of, to, to think of it as almost nappy changing as a factory line. You know, it's yeah, you take a child off, put the nappy off, they're quick quick, quick enough, out the door. Yeah. And then the next one. But of course, here you are again. I mean, the question about how do you support those transitions, you are talking again about that continuity of care, that it's the one key person that is mostly changing the nappy and okay they work in teams there'll be a secondary person there of course when that key person is sick but that the child just learns the kind of um the particular way of being of that person because and also that that person is supporting the various transitions so you start with Mm. arriving so what happens the baby comes in with the parents and that's a very delicate sensitive time mm. the baby has to be handed over and you know leave her her loved parents and into this new environment but again if it's with a key worker who ideally would have met the parents at home before the baby ever crossed the threshold that would be so much better negotiated and again all of those things about a comfortable space to sit down slowly take off the clothes chat to the parents about how was the night before and all of that. So I suppose really it's about thinking about all of those detailed transitions arriving, what's going to happen. Then they're probably going to be maybe playing for a little bit. Maybe they'll go straight in and have a breakfast. Maybe they'll have the breakfast then play. But no doubt, once you eat, then the inevitable happening is nappy changing. And then there's typically you have a nap. So Then you're up again and you're probably hungry because, you know, very young children, we all know, needs to be fed regularly to keep their Mm. energy levels up. So that happens. That can happen. I mean, from a child, just the graph, you know, arriving, playing, having breakfast, changing, napping, rejoining the group, outside time if the baby is lucky, having lunch, changing, playing, snack, napping, changing, playing, departing. I mean, that's something like 12 transitions in the day. Mm so it's about thinking ahead how do you make that transition uh, really meaningful for the child in a way that they can that again back to that kind of slow relational pedagogy Mm. so how can we be really together with the baby in a slow way when we're arriving and leaving when changing a nappy when feeding when sharing books cuddling up on the couch nothing lovelier to do um, or when we're outside and letting babies stop and stare, which is what they need to do. Mm. They need time to be able to take in what's around them and having that person with them uh, emotionally available and you know physically present to support them through those routines. So that way, when it comes to feeding time, for example, the baby can hold spoon themselves. There's no sense of rush. There's no sense of hurry at any point. Mm. So This is all tied up with the idea of an individualized routine, that it's the, it's the baby's routine that leads the way. And in terms of the kind of the key person approach, that ideally that small team of people is with the baby from the time they enter the setting as a baby right up until they move all of the way up. In fact, it's, it, it gets over a number of issues because certainly one of the unintended policy consequences of the ECU scheme where you have people with higher qualifications, you know, um, with the older children is I mean, when you think again about communication and language, children need to have positive role models. So they need to have people who themselves are very articulate. So you do not want to have the least qualified people with the pe- with children. need it most in other words the babies but you get over all that if you know you just move up with the baby and thankfully in the new workforce development plan that is the plan you'd be glad to know (laughs) so it'll all work out in the end um okay so that's enough so uh,
0: you've mentioned slow relational pedagogy uh a couple of times and that's the title of the podcast what are the features of uh slow relational pedagogy and i'm
1: sure Four or five minutes isn't enough, but we'll, okay. you know, it's a flavour. I suppose maybe to give you a little bit of background of where I came from, um, I had initially wrote a paper for the National Council of Curriculum Assessment and actually if people are interested and they want to follow up on more information that paper is freely available on their website and I was looking at lots of different ways particularly Dali from New Zealand who talks about relational pedagogy and then there's a, another one Labov talks about um, the neuro-relational approach and talks about the importance of nurturance in terms of Brain development ultimately. And then, um, so I called it a specialized relational pedagogy. And a, about a, a month ago, there was um, a podcast, or a, a, sorry, a, a, there was a conference with uh, Peter Moss, and he quoted Alison Clark. And I subsequently got the document, and she talks about slow pedagogy and slow knowledge. And uses terms, in fact, you know, even I think Jan White in New Zealand talks about lingering lovingly, you know, but it's about calming everything down. And I just thought, okay, I'm sorry I hadn't thought about that earlier. So I'm shamefully borrowing it. And I'm saying now slow relational pedagogy. Now, when we say pedagogy, I know people then will go, what are you talking about pedagogy with babies? So I'm talking about shifting the thinking from, as you would with older children teaching and learning, to much more about learning and emotional nurturance. So when we want to look at emotional pedagogy, or uh, sorry, slow relational pedagogy, it's about slowing the tempo, the pace, the place, the materials, and the role of the adult. If we want to just enumerate some of the features, Touch is critically important, sensitivity and attunement, responsiveness, supporting babies' attention, um, intentions, emotional and physical presence that I mentioned, being an interesting and playful companion, and then critically self-regulation through interactions. So just to kind of, you know, t- talk about those a little bit more, in relation to touch, Jim Greenman, I know you're a fan of his as well, but he would have talked about how the safe, secure world with the baby's need for physical contact and that babies need lots of it. And he would have said that actually physical contact was more important than uh, vision. In terms of baby survival and he talked about how babies died of skin hunger and certainly when you think about the old do you remember the, the romanian orphanages I, I understand things have completely improved but those images of babies who had never been held were just absolutely heartbreaking we have this idea that you know babies oh you don't pick them up you let them cry and all that no they need to be held because of their emotional regulation piece that we'll be talking about in a few minutes. So touch is reassuring and it needs to be gentle. And the baby's bodies need to be respected as if their own. So it's back to not ripping off the nappy, but gently and narrating and talking about what it is you're doing. In terms of the sensitivity and attunement approach, that's very much about being in harmony with the baby and not being either too intrusive uh, or being too passive knowing the temperament of the baby and just, you know, we talk about the Goldilocks approach, that it's just right. So a lot of within sensitivity and attunement as well is the back and forth uh, interactions. The next element, of course, is that responsive communication where you're absolutely knowing the baby well and responding to their needs. In terms of supporting baby's intention, it's acknowledging that if a baby is sucking on something, that's what they're doing. If they're gazing off into the distance, if you follow the gaze, what is it that they want to get to? Eventually, when they can crawl over, you're kind of noticing again, what is it that they're doing and supporting them in doing that? Well, being an interesting companion is an absolute given. Of course, we all want to be with people who are interested and engaged and are prepared to completely interact with this but again that needs to be at baby's level down at their level face to face and games like peekaboo singing songs and so forth the self-regulation is critically important because it's through the adult that the baby learns to moderate their own stress so for a baby when they are hungry cold or all of the unpredictable things that happen for them, they get overwhelmed and they react with a stress response, like the world is falling apart. If there isn't an adult who's there completely available to them to soothe them, then that overwhelming response becomes a habitual stress response. But if the response from the adult is one of calming and self-soothing then the baby learns this working model of oh i can self-soothe i can over time then regulate my by my bodily functions i can regulate and calm myself down if i get upset i can i can communicate with other children without you know grabbing toys from them but it actually starts from that very young age and ultimately the secure attachment figure regulates the baby's shifting arousal levels so the key thing a Shanker I know that you're also an early childhood aren't great fans of Stuart Shanker yeah. but he would always say look at everything from the baby's perspective so thats would be my favorite word. Great. And I'd refer
0: um, my colleague Catherine McHugh did a podcast on an earlier podcast on self-regulation. So that's there if people want to look back on it. Geraldine, thank you so much. We could have, you know, each of those questions could have been a full podcast on their own. And there were some really lovely reflections highlighting the amazing competence of babies and toddlers um, and the vital importance of their care to be slow. And that. It's all about relationships. And uh, I'd like to thank the listeners for listening to Early Childhood Ireland's podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and colleagues. And we hope you'll join us next time. And in the meantime, check out our website and the social media channels.